Man, that's intense. That's like being an IMAX almost. We need some 3D glasses. We can go and bring those house lights up. Intense. Hey, man, I sure do appreciate worship. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever, let me just say something to you. I know this is, I don't even know if it's fair for me to say because many of you won't understand, but it's a lot different being up here than it is sitting out there. And so can we just give them uh, a round of uh, just, you know, thank you for leading us. Appreciate you guys so much, so much. Well, I am so excited about today and, and this message that I feel like God has given me and uh, the series that we're in. We're in this series called Black Box, and basically what this series is about is um, not necessarily for us, every decision, if you're in Christ, is about an absolute wrong or right. It's more about understanding wisdom. When you think of a black box, you think of like, you know, plane crashes or uh, this recent train accident where that's the first thing they go to to find out in a moment of catastrophe, what was the decision they tried to make. Does that make sense? And so what we're doing is we're learning how to have these nuggets of wisdom from Scripture so that we can dive into our black box long before a catastrophe happens in our life. And every message, I I try to give a bottom line, and in preacher talk, that is a sermon in a sentence. But we've done one for the entire series, and this is uh, the bottom line for this series is we must embrace the uncertain if we're going to see the unbelievable. And there are a lot of uncertainties in our life. I think that it's fair to say that many of us here would say that, hey, I don't even really know what next week looks like. Or maybe there was a time in your life where you're like, hey, I don't, I don't know where this is going. I don't even know like, what my next step is. I'm just trying to get through the day. You know what I'm talking about? People that are like, planning their vacations for next year, and you're just trying to get to Saturday. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of uncertainties, but we must embrace those with wisdom if we're going to see the unbelievable. And I mean unbelievable corporately with this church, and also mean individually in your lives. We must embrace it. You can't hide from it. You can't sweep it under the rug. You shouldn't be fearful of it. You should embrace it. And we're learning how to do that with wisdom from our black box. This morning, we are in part five of a seven-week series, and we're talking about the power of the same this morning. The power of the same. And I I believe that God is just going to really speak to some people as I was preparing this message. I I realized that... um, If you guys don't know this, a lot of times what God will do to a pastor is he will bring a message that is a lot of times being worked out in my life to you. Does that make sense? I mean, one of my responsibilities is to shepherd this church, is to lead it. And so a lot of times God will use things through me uh, or do things through me or teach me things where I've been to lead you. And this morning as we talk about the power of the same, it's not going to seem like it when we get going, but really what we're talking about is waiting. Does everybody, anybody in here love waiting? And you ever hear people say, don't pray for patience, buddy. Don't pray for patience. Well, that's foolish, okay? You should pray for it. Um, but we're going to be talking about waiting, really, the power of the same. And it's not going to seem like that's what we're talking about. And it may, for those of you who are kind of can pick up on some things, but once we get to the end, it'll make sense to you. Do we have any creatures of habit in here? Like, you can't stand change. Everything's got to be the same, you know, one, two, two people. There we go. All right, there you go. Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll admit it. Yeah. What, do we have any people in here that are just like spontaneous? It's just whatever, man, I'll go. Yeah, a couple more. She's throwing her pen. She's real spontaneous. Yeah, yeah. I don't care. I throw my pen. Well, I'm a little bit of both. Um, when my wife and I and our family, our two little kids, we just recently went on a two-week vacation down to Florida. We were in Panama City, and then we went south of there, this place called St. Joe's State Park, and we were gone for two weeks, and it was absolutely incredible. By like day three, 
I realized come dinner time, I had not brushed my teeth and had no idea what time it is. You know what I'm talking about? It was like one of those vacations. I was like, oh God, I didn't even brush my teeth today. So it was that good of a vacation. But we were ready. I was ready like we were leaving on Saturday. And by Friday, I woke up and I was just a little bit anxious to get back home. You know what I mean? Like it's been a great vacation. I mean, probably one of the best ones we've had. Um, Just really, really good. Got to see some family from Houston, Texas and his first vacation for my wife and I with all of our children. We have two. I don't know why I said like all of our children, like for the Duggars, but for, trust me, when, you, when you're a new parent, it's like all of our children, all of our children. And we survived it. Hallelujah. But I was ready to get back home. And this is why, because I'm pretty, I'm a dreamer, I think. Uh, um, you know, certainly my wife will tell you that. And I think there's been times in my life where like if my wife didn't keep me down to reality, there's only God knows where we'd be and what we'd be doing in this world. Um, just because I, I have these dreams of just wanting to move, but she keeps me down to the earth a little bit, and it's a good balance. But in that, I realized when I got out of high school, um, I turned 18 on July 20th. I signed a contract with the United States Army September 10th, one day before the one-year anniversary, and left out for a boot camp on October 2nd. Some of you are like, this dude was in the Army? I know it's hard to believe, Sean. I really was, though, okay? Um, but what I learned in that environment is that I, I thrive and I strive in structured environments. Like, I just, I do. It's just, I mean, it's something they instilled in me. In fact, like, if you walk into our laundry room where I, where I keep my clothes, you're going to see, like, everything is, my V-necks are first, my, you know, short sleeve shirts, then my collared shirts, then my long sleeve, and so forth. I just, I thrive in those environments. And one of the beautiful things about being a pastor is this, is that, I've not forgot where I'm going, so just hang with me, is... We have the ability to have a flexible schedule. And let me tell you why that's good is because a lot of you all are working when we need to be meeting. So I've got to have this flexibility to meet with people when, when they can. And, and part of a pastor's responsibility is putting out the closest fire to you. Does that make sense? Like I, I, I've got some things that I, I do every single week of the day or every day of the week as far as structured, but part of that flexibility is, okay, I've got it. Somebody calls me and they're needing some help or they're, you know, they're going through something tough. I've got to, okay, hey, I can meet, I did it last week. I can meet you for lunch on Thursday. But in that, I also have structure. Like if you try to call me on Wednesday morning, you're not going to get a hold of me because I'm going to be doing sermon prep. I'm going to be writing my messages. I've got to have that structure. And I think what happens in life is this. When you talk about waiting, you talk about creatures of habit, when you talk about spontaneous combustion, any Incubus fans in here? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, old school. What? You lost me. Um, Google it. Um, is a lot of times when, when it comes to what, when we want God to do something in our lives, when we need him or want him to do something, we begin just acting erratically sometimes. We may like, okay, I've got to do this for God to bless me. Or I've got to, I've got to start doing this. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to go here. I've got to completely change everything. And I want you to know there is a time where you should change some things in order to experience God's hand on you. But this morning, we're going to talk about the power of the same, how there is power in a routine. There's power in a routine. And I think the scripture is, is going to show us this morning how when we wait, and I'm going to define what waiting is. Just so you know off the rip, waiting does not equal being complacent. It does not mean being physically complacent. It's more of a, a mental rest. And I tell you, as I, as I was preparing this message, I, I have preached on this text two times. As a young preacher, one was at a church right up the road called Hillville Baptist Church. Another one was in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And, and the two angles I took that time are completely different than I will this morning. But 
We're going to read a story this morning about out of the Gospel of John, and he calls it the third sign of healing for Jesus. Jesus, the third miracle, right? He turned the water into the wine, he heals an official son, and then he runs in to this person. And this person in this story is lame, and I don't mean like your sister or brother. I mean like physically. And both times I've preached this message, and I can just, I just, I don't even know if you can even, somebody out here can relate to me, but I can remember just, you know, believing with all my heart that God can heal people. I know that he can. But this man in here who's lame for 38 years gets healed, and, I, and I've preached it like, hey, God can heal you. And I'll tell you this, the honest God truth, and may I think God was teaching me something, that's why I'm taking a different angle this morning. Not that God can't heal you of your depression, of your blood pressure, of things. Both times I finished that message, we did like a, a prayer afterwards. I'll never forget, I'm up there at Hillville Baptist, just right up here by the interstate, and I've just preached my guts out, believing that God's going to heal somebody, and up comes this guy in a wheelchair. And he wasn't healed that day. In Black Mountain, North Carolina, preaching my guts out. I'm talking, I was up on stage, I'm screaming, spitting, kicking, <laughs> believing it. No joke, at the very end, they all pray. Here comes this 17-year-old up in a wheelchair. And I want you to know this, church. When you see a biblical healing, this may be hard for you to understand, it's the exception. It's not the rule. See, in the first coming of Christ, it was the exception. When Christ comes again, it will be the rule. You will all be healed. We will all be healed in Jesus' name. Amen? So let's believe that God can do it. But let's accept what he allows. And so this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up and turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. You can, as you're leaving, you can stop by the Next Steps table. Um, we'd love to give you that. Also, if you're a first-time guest, I forgot to mention this, we've got a free gift out there for you, no strings attached. We just want you to have it. We're going to be in John chapter 5 this morning. If you have it on your phone, you can turn it on. If you have it on your iPad or if you just don't want to... Uh, if you don't have that, even we're going to have it up on the screen, so don't worry. Let's, let's hold off on that just a second, please. Um, here, here's the context of what's going on in John chapter 5. Jesus has, in, in the gospel of John, he's come on the scene. He's turned the water into the wine, right? Every, even unbelievers know that. Jesus turned water into wine. He's healed an official son, and there's going to be some time that's passed. And Jesus is walking up towards Jerusalem, and he's going to come across a man needs a miracle. Now, I asked you earlier, those of you who need God to do something extraordinary in your life to raise your hand, and many of you raised your hand. Yeah, go ahead. Let's do it again. Everybody's like, hey, do I do it? Do it? Yeah. Now, I want you to know this. I'm not suggesting that God can't, but I know that he can. So believe with me this morning. I say this all the time, and I want, you to, I want you to get it, church, that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. Hang with me this morning. You will be blessed if you thirst and hunger for the word of God and you embrace it. We're in John chapter 5, verse 1. John's talking, he says, after this, after the healings, after some time has passed, a Jewish festival, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, verse 2. It says, by the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool. It's important that we understand here in context, again, that Jesus is walking by and he's going to have this encounter with a man outside of the church. 
Very seldom did Jesus have these encounters with people in the church. And when you see him, when I mean church, I, I say the temple. Not that he didn't go there and teach. But when he went, he was about the father's business and he was kicking table overs. He was raising Cain. And so it's very important that we understand that as he goes by this pool, has five colonnades that Jesus is, he's outside of the church. You do know that God's alive outside of Sunday, right? You do know that. Verse three. It says, within these, the colonnades, lay a multitude, a bunch of the sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Verse four. Because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up, recovered from whatever element he had. Listen, if we're going to experience God in our life, one of the places that we have to realize that is there's designated areas where God, we're going to encounter God. Does that make sense? What I mean is this is, it's really not a surprise to me as I read the story that Jesus was surrounded by a bunch of paralyzed and lame and sick people. If you've read anything in the gospel, it shouldn't surprise you, Matt, that he was around these type of people. What's good for you and I this morning is to realize that we are these type of people. Here sit the lame, the paralyzed, the sick, the blind. Now, for these people in this first century text, they went to a specific location where they believed a miracle would happen. Now, I don't know about you. Miracles certainly can happen and do happen outside the church, but they ought to happen right here as well on Sunday morning. So I'm just a firm believer that this is a designated area for you to experience Christ this morning. If you'll open your mind, if you'll believe it, and I don't want to get like new age philosophy and spirituality and mentality, but the reality is this. Man, that was a lot of rhyme and I didn't even mean to. I hope the people on the podcast can catch up with me on that one. You've got to be open. You've got to put yourself, you've got to position yourself to receive the power of the Savior. For these people, it was a specific location. For us, really, it's, it's a mindset. Romans 12, 2 says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're going to encounter Christ, it's almost as if this. You've got to put yourself in a position to where there are as few roadblocks as possible, where your mind is free of clutter, and I know what that's like. But there are designated areas, if you will, where you're going to experience Jesus more than others. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is here more today here than he is in the house church in China, okay? That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is you will feel his manifested presence more. Does that make sense? You've got it. There's these certain areas. And for these people, it was a physical location. But what the church needs this morning, what you need, those of you who raised your hand, is to be in a spiritual awakening. See, it's not about being physically complacent. It's about a spiritual awakening, a a mindset to, okay, I'm going to position myself here where the sick, the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, the drug addict, the prostitute, the needle junkie, We are these people. This is us. It's awful quiet in here. I think of my own story. 
which is still being built. I had to get myself in this area of mindset and life to where I could encounter what God wanted to do. Does that make sense? I mean, I think, I think the truth is this, is that there are times in our life, even seasons of our life, that we are in an area to where we can't even receive what God wants to do. Maybe it's because of bitterness. It's because of anger. It's because of jealousy. Resentment. And the reality is, is that puts you in a good spot to hear from him, but you've built your wall up so high. And God's just like trying to peek over. He's trying to tear the wall down, but you keep adding a stone of bitterness. He knocks that one out and you put it back rage. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Y'all good? I'm good. Let's keep going. Verse five. So it says, one man was there. Hold on right here for a minute. One man who was there had been sick for 38 years now. And there's original language. It's not suggesting that this man has been you're going to see that he's lame. He's got some physical ailments. That he was born that way. It's suggestive that this came about on him. So potentially, this man could be in his 50s or 60s. It's also important that John, out of all, it said a multitude, which means a lot of people, that John would mention this man shows that he is the most needy of the group. You ever feel like the most needy? You ever felt like what you're going through was too much for God to handle? I mean, I know I have. I've had this thought of God, because I've experienced God's grace, his goodness, and then it's also when I like intentionally sin or go this way that I feel like I'm so far down that God wants nothing to do with me. I know that this has got to be resonating with somebody. Like you feel guilty about your behavior because you know it's wrong. But it's interesting that John would mention this man. It's indicative that out of the multitude of people there that Jesus went for the most needy. Aren't you glad that God goes for those who need him the most? I mean, the scripture I read says that Jesus came to heal the sick, not the righteous. So if you're a filthy freaking mess, then you're an ideal candidate for God to do something in you. Their eyes got big up here, Sean. They weren't ready for that. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there, aren't you glad that God knows all about your problems long before you even encounter them? I mean, on the flip side of that, you may be like, hey, I wish you could have given me a heads up. I was fixing to happen. 
When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, I love this. He said, do you want to get well? Church, he's asking you this morning, Samantha, he's asking you, do you want to get well? Chrissy, Billy? Then he's asking, do you want to get well? Jessica, do you want it? Verse 7. Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. I want to talk to you just a little bit about divine appointment. See, Jesus knew about this man's life long before they passed across that day. This morning, the season of life you're in, God's known all about it. See, what I love about this story is this, this man is sitting there before the Savior of the world, and he's not even, you're going to see in just a minute, he doesn't even realize it's Jesus. And what he's looking for is a miracle to come from the water, but he does not know, Keisha, that he's talking to the one who can walk on the water. Don't leave me hanging up here. A lot of times we stand before God and we say, if you'll just do this, but what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm ready to give you myself. Do you want to get well? And let's just tap into that for a moment. Doesn't that seem like a ludicrous, a ludicrous or a preposterous question that Jesus would ask this man who's been sick for 38 years? Do you want to get well? I mean, can we just be honest and be like, that's kind of a stupid question on the front end, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that'd be okay if you double my salary and give me a little bit more wealthy. That'd be great if you do that. And I'm tired of my air conditioner my car not working, so yeah, I'd appreciate if you'd fix that too, buddy. And I'm tired of rolling down the window to open the door and get out that way, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's obvious, right? It's obvious, but here's the deal. This is what Jesus is doing. He is challenging this man's will for a better life. See, this morning, Jesus is asking you, do you want to get well? But the, the reality is this, is he knows that you do, or you think that, but he's challenging your will, your desire to get up and do something about it. It's really two parts, if you will. We are saved by grace through what? It takes both of them. It takes God's grace and his faith and our faith. The same is true when we need God to do something in our life. He can make it well, but sometimes you got to get up and walk. I mean, listen, God can help you fight the battle, but you better be ready to march all night. This man had a divine appointment that day. Some of you here this morning, you've got a divine appointment. Will you open yourself? Will you put yourself in a designated area mentally to where you can receive this divine appointment? See, this man sat there in despair and all alone, but he had, no he had no doubt that what he was seeking could heal him. But God had a plan for his son to walk by and heal him. This morning, you can almost call it idolatry in a lot of ways. We're looking for certain people, places, and things to bring us our joy, to, 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 to comfort us. And the Savior is walking by, and he's saying, do you want to get well? And you may think, yeah, I do. And he's saying, well, do you really want to get well? Because what did the man do when Jesus asked him that? He said, do you really want to get well? He said, hey, it made an excuse just like we all do, right? I don't have anybody pick me up and take me down there. This man, the most needy of the bunch, 
was in despair and all alone, but God had a divine appointment for him that day to meet the co-heir to the throne. You've come here this morning, and I don't really know why you came. And I don't mean this to be insensitive. I don't really care why you come. We just think it's important to attend. I don't care what your motive is, what your motive was. If you just wanted free donuts and coffee, that's cool. Paul says this, right, Marty, as long as the gospel is preached, what's the matter? You'll hear the gospel here. God has a divine appointment for us. Pull up verse 6 again. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? This is interesting about this. An interesting point about this is, Jesus saw him lying there and knew he'd been there a long time. Now, the text doesn't suggest that this man lived there, but that he kept going back there. He kept doing the the power of the same. He kept in his routine. He kept doing what he knew to do. Let me tell you one reason it's so important to come to church. On the days you don't feel like it, when you'd rather sleep in. Because today, that day may be the day that you have your divine appointment. Where everything is answered, everything makes sense. You walk out of here with a little bit more joy than you had when you came in. You're a little bit more optimistic than when you came in. You've got a greater understanding of what God wants to do for you. There's power in the same. There's power when we wait and we do what we know to do. Let's look at verse 7 again. I love this. He says, so Jesus says, do you want to get well? He knows that he's been laying there. He says, sir, the sick man answered, "I I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. It's suggestive of this. This is another reason that we know that this man's not completely paralyzed, because look what he says. He says, I don't have a man to put me in the pool, but when the water stirred up while I'm coming, someone goes ahead of me. So I imagine like this. He has some group of people, somehow he gets to this pool, this colonnade, And he just sits there. And they just wait for the angel. I don't know if it comes hourly. But imagine like he he sees it coming, and what I envision is he just starts crawling the best he can to get there, and somebody just comes leaping over him. And they're like, this one's mine, Joker. (laughs) You ever feel like that? Like you're, you're one step ahead, and then somebody just comes running by you, and you're like, what have I done? What have I been doing this whole time? Or you compare yourself to another lifestyle. They're, they're in their early 30s. They're married. They've got kids. And you're single with no prospects in mind. Your friends have got this great career. They've been in a long time and you're starting all over again. Jesus is challenging you this morning, church. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? He's challenging your will. He's challenging your desire. Basically, what he's saying is stop talking and get up and do something about it. Stop talking. 
Stop being wishy-washy and get up and do something about it. Do you want to get well? As we continue on in the story, verse 8, I love this, is verse 8. It says, Jesus says, get up. Get up, Jesus told him. Hey, some of you this morning, Brittany, you, you just got to get up and get moving. I mean, you, you just can't be physically complacent. Waiting does not mean that we sit and do nothing and just pray for God to do everything. It means that we do what we can. He's telling him, get up. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your bedroll and walk, verse 9. Just keep rolling with it. It says, instantly, instantly. Remember, this is the exception, not the rule. But for this man, it shows God's ability. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his bedroll, and started to walk. Now, John takes a very interesting twist here. Like we're all hopped up and jacked up about this man. And then John all of a sudden says, now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, don't you hate when religious people hate on what God's done in you? Don't you hate when the haters, they doubt you? These Jews said to the man who had been healed, he said, this is a Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your bedroll, verse 11. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your bedroll and walk, verse 12. Who is this man who told you, pick up your bedroll and walk, they asked, verse 13. But the man who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. The third thing that we must do in the power of the same is we must declare the action. We must declare the action. What I love about this story, and there's a lot of theological debate, but at the bottom line is what we can say for sure is this man said specifically what God had done for him. He declared the action that God had done in his life, Eric. A lot of times people are like, people say to me, yeah, preacher, God's so good. And I say, well, tell me exactly. Why is he good? Like, I mean, tell me why. What has he done for you? Did you know there is great freedom when you express what God's done for you? When you just speak it and proclaim it, when you declare, hey, this is what God's done for me. He is restoring my life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. My life was once hopeless, but now I'm hopeful. This man, he just told these haters, basically, this is what Jesus did. Matter of fact, he didn't even know it was Jesus. You do know that sometimes blessings come in disguise. He just declared it. He just spoke it. He proclaimed it. This morning, those of you who have experienced the touch of God in your life, whatever that may be, even if it's just salvation, you need to speak it. You're wrong if you don't. You need to just speak it. You need to just say it. This is what God's done for me. This is what God's done for me. He took a young punk who was arrogant out of the army, who had a drinking problem that became a drug problem, that became a... I'll shake your hand and see what kind of money I can get out of your back pocket problem. He took a man who would rip somebody off just so he could go pay the bills because he spent all his money on drugs. Some of you are wondering, can this dude be a pastor? God took this broken, insecure, lonely, dark heart and replaced it with the light of the world. Come on, somebody celebrate with me if God's done something to you. I mean, let's just declare it. Don't judge me because I'm being honest and I have the guts to say it. 
You got to declare, you got to speak that truth over your life. It's not just enough to think it. I've said this and gave this illustration on so many different times. Part of my past allows me and enables me to help those who struggle with drug addiction and different things like that. And I'll meet with families all the time. And listen, just because I'm talking about drugs doesn't mean it's not. You just switch out that word and apply it to your life. I'll sit there and talk with them, these families, and I'll be talking about their son or their daughter, and they're 15 or they're 35 or they're 38. Sin doesn't discriminate. And they'll be talking about their problems with drugs and these things, and they will never say it. Listen, if you sit down to talk with me about your problems, you're full-blown. It's It's legit, okay? If I come to the table to talk, like, you've got a big problem. And these people... I'll talk with them, I'll talk with them, I'll talk with them. And it's, a lot of times it's the parents, but a lot of times it's the individual. And they'll, they will, listen, they'll say, yeah, they do heroin, they do cocaine, they steal, they pawn, they blah, 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 what everybody else does. But you will never hear them speak, I'm a drug addict. Why? Because when you declare the action, it becomes real. That's why you've got to speak the truth. That's why you've got to speak the promises of God over your life. You've got to say them. It's not enough just to think them because when you say it out loud, it becomes real. You've got to declare it. This man spoke. Hey, he told me. This is what he, he, just tell your story. I love this. He just says, hey, Jesus told me to do this, do this, and I did that, and now here I am. Listen, he didn't quote a bunch of scripture. You don't have to have a theological degree to share Jesus. And the reality is this, I've, I've talked with people about when it comes to declaring the action and sharing their faith, they're like, I don't know what to say, I don't, want, I don't want to turn people away. Listen, let me go ahead and relieve that pressure from you. You don't save people, it's the Holy Spirit. Your job is just to share your faith. Let me take the pressure off of you. In the Baptist culture, we're raised to, I've got to say the right thing, God give me the right thing to say to him. Why don't you just say what God's done for you and let him do his job? You've got to declare the action. When you get yourself in a designated area, you open your mind, God's gonna, he's got a divine appointment. You do realize that we are all going to have an appointment with him. And when you experience whatever happens in that appointment, because something will happen, you've got to declare it. You've got to declare it. As we continue on, verse 14. So again, some time has passed. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex. So Jesus healed him outside of the church. The man got healed and said, I'm going to church. Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, see, you are well. Hold it here for a minute. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Paul said in the book of Romans, he says, all right, listen, you've experienced salvation. You've experienced Jesus. So shall we continue in sin so that grace abounds? Absolutely not. What he's saying here is, listen, just because you've experienced it, now you're covered in the grace doesn't mean that you go out and live like hell. The book of Hebrews talks about this. When we deliberately sin, basically what we're doing, Chase, when you deliberately sin after experiencing the grace of God, you're putting Christ back up on the cross and you're hitting the nails in it again. It said there, the book of Hebrews says there no longer remains a sacrifice. Let me point out something else to you that you've probably missed. After this, Jesus, say this with me. Found. Okay, let's try it again. We're recording, okay? Don't make me sound stupid. <laughs> After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex. Listen, on your best day, you do not wake up and choose him. He finds you. He finds you. That's the gospel. I mean, listen. 
I want to throw this mic so bad, but I know we don't have another one. <laughs> Jesus found him. You ever feel like God did something great in your life and then you not heard from him in a while? And you're like wondering, God, where are you at? I need you now. And then he comes just in the nick of time because his time is perfect. No, 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 no. You did not find him. He found you. Verse 15. So he has his second encounter. It says, the man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. So listen, in verse 6, Jesus saw the man lying by the pool and knew he had been there. In verse 14, Jesus found him. Everything that happens from him is initiated by him. You are a recipient. Isn't it amazing? Now, here, I want to point out why I believe this man received this miracle and how I believe that you and I can experience God's provision for our life. There's something very interesting about the power of the same when we do what we know to do. Now, you may not have seen it in the way I've taken it. But again, in in, in verse 6, one more time, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there, he had already been there a long time. Jesus knew how long he had been there that day, and he knew how long he had been coming. See, this man went to the only place he knew. He kept waiting and waiting and waiting his turn. He did the power of the same. Christians think of waiting as this. I'm going to be physically complacent. I'm going to become apathetic. I'm going to become downright lazy and expect God to do what only He can do. Now, here's the good news. is that there are certain things that only God can do. The tension with that is this. He's asking you this morning, do you want to get well? And though the obvious answer may be yes, He is challenging your will, your desire. I've had many conversations with people this week who are telling me what they need to do in their life, what they want God to do in their life, what they are praying for, what they hope for. And he's asking you this morning, do you want to get well? I mean, how bad do you really want it? How bad do you want it? Do you want to get well? Do you want your life back on track? Do you want to be a good father? Do you want to be a good spouse? Do you want to be a good friend? Do you want to be a good Christ follower? He's asking, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had already been there a long time. What this man did was this. Every day, he did the exact same thing that he knew to do. So remember for him, hang with me, church. For him, it was a physical location where he would receive the miracle. For us, it's a spiritual mindset. And you've got to go back there every single day. I'll be the first to tell you, I think waiting is terrible. I'm the type of dude that gets pissed off if I'm at McDonald's for eight minutes in the fast food line. So, okay, I get, I get it. But you've got to wait. You've got to keep doing the same thing. There is power in the same. For those of us, when we're in Christ, it does not mean that we just stop and halt life. Matter of fact, Reagan, what it means is we keep going. We keep 
pressing on when we don't feel like it. We keep pressing on when the desire's not there, when we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. This man needed God to do something only he could do this morning. Many of you, you raised your hand. I'm going to ask you one more time. If you need God, want God to do something in your life that would change you forever, that would make today better even, can you raise your hand? There's power in the same, church. Listen, I'm telling you, there's power in the same. When you look into your black box before a moment of catastrophe, you look in there and you realize that there's power. There's power. When we do what we know, when we do what we know, there is power. I love what the old prophet Isaiah said. Listen to me, church, right here before I lose my mind. He said, but those who say with me, those who wait, say it one more time, those who wait on the Lord. I love the word says, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. I don't know about you, but the waiting that God wants us to do does not mean being complacent. It means we mount up on wings like eagles. Look, they shall run and not be weary. You're not just going to sit down. God's telling you this morning, do you want to get well? Then get up. Get up. He says, they shall walk and not faint. Hey, listen. The word shall, the word shall means it. it means a strong intention. It's a future tense verb. Waiting does not mean sitting still and complacent. There's power in the same. We will mount up on wings like eagles for our divine appointment. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open.